Welcome to another episode of Italia Mia, sponsored by the Sons and Daughters of Italy in America and the Grand Lodge of New York. Thank you for joining me this evening. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Italia Mia Professor Mario Macaluso, author of two books that I'm aware of, but I believe he's written many more. But we'll talk about that a little later on. The books that I'm aware of are of Memoir of a Sicilian Woman, which is an homage to his mother, and the second, Prickly Pears and Oleanders. Good evening, Professor Macaluso. Good evening. And how are you this evening? I'm doing very well. I'm greeting you and your audience from uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, oh, yes, all the way from Austin, Texas. And you have been through a really bad time, you know, from the news. It's been, uh, terrible uh, weather two weeks ago, which destroyed most of the trees, especially tropical, semi-tropical plants. But we are doing well. The weather is beautiful right now. It's full uh, spring. All right. Um, Professor, we're, you're sort of fading out and then coming back. Can yeah, you just... Of course, right. I'm trying to be as close as possible to the, to the phone. Okay. I don't know. Something with the lines, the phone lines, I suppose. Well, we have several things to cover. Um, I knew you many years ago. You attended uh, the luncheons when I was on radio, and here we are reunited again, and that's so nice. Yes, yeah, it's so wonderful, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, well, let's talk about your life, uh, primarily in Sicily, and you were born in a little mountain town called Polizzi Generosa, is that correct? You've got to speak up louder again, Professor. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll try to. That's it. Yeah, keep it at that level. That sounds good. Okay. I was born in uh, a little town in Sicily in the province of Palermo. In 
together. You had the Jews who lived there. There was 137 uh, families living in police, one of the largest Jewish community. There was the Byzantine or Greek community, and then also the Latin community. Mm -hmm. And they all lived in the same hometown together in harmony. Uh, among the, the famous people in Polizzi, we have Dolce and Cabana. Dolce is the famous... Yes, the fashion icon. Very famous all over Italy, all over the world, for his beautiful clothes and designs and perfumes. We have together with him uh, the famous um, uh, movie actor, Vincent Schiavelli. Oh, yes, yes. Um, he was in 150 uh, movies. Uh, one of them, uh, Ghost, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Uh, Fast Times at Bridgewood High, Batman Returns, and so on. And he was a very, very interesting person, very, very nice, very friendly. Yes. I met him uh, twice, we became friends. He came over to lunch many times to invite him. And uh, he wanted to die in Polizzi because his grandfather was from Polizzi. He uh. said to himself at the end of his career, that I don't want to live in uh, California anymore. I want to complete the circle. My grandfather came to Brooklyn. I came all the way to California. I lived my life. Now I want to go back to Polizzi. Is that he right? He died in Polizzi at the age of uh, 57. He was very young. Yes. Well, well let, give us his name again. I, I can see him in my mind's eye. A very tall man. That's correct. He's very, very, um, very tall, very, a uh, little bit strange looking. Yeah, very um, big eyes. The type of person that scares you, uh, a very uh, powerful uh, personality in, uh, yes. in the movies. And uh, the reason why he looked so a little bit strange is because he had a, a syndrome called Marfan. Oh, yes, yes. F-A-N, Marfan. A syndrome where the, um, the, hand, the hands, the, the arms, the legs, they were longer than they should have been. And I believe, uh, if I'm correct, um, Abraham Lincoln suffered from that very... That's, that's, that's true, that's correct, that's correct. Among also the other people uh, with Vincent Scavelli is Martin Scorsese, the movie director, the famous movie director. His grandparents came, one of his grandparents came from Polizzi. I'm sorry, I, you know, you faded for a moment. Yeah, you know, he was honored by the town and so on, but Martin Scorsese, uh, together with Another personality, which is not well known in the world, but there was a cardinal, Mariano Rampolla. Uh -huh. He was the secretary of state of Leo, of Pope Leo the And guess what? When the Pope died, Mariano Rampolla was already picked to become the next Pope. But there was a leader from Austria at the time, you know, Governments could say no to the church. They sent someone to Rome and said, We don't want Mariano Rampolla Pope. Uh -huh. So he never became one, but he was a very, very famous 
Well, that little town certainly enjoys quite a history. Yes, not only that, so the town attracted also tourists and attracted also religious orders. You had the Franciscans, you had the Dominicans, you had nuns, you had monasteries. There were churches galore. Even today, there are many, many churches, even though some of them are basically closed because, you know, uh, the population is much smaller, the interest in the church is less. But beautiful churches and beautiful works of art. Uh-huh. And w- at what age did you emigrate to the United States? I was uh, 18 years old. What happened to me is uh, that I, uh, I went to school, like my brothers. My mother, by the way, talking about my parents, they were farmers. My mother had a third grade education. My father was uh, illiterate. He didn't know how to read or write. He never did. Uh-huh. He was born in 1898. Right. And when time came for him to go elementary school, the parents felt that he really did better if he went to work on the farm. Uh-huh. So that's what, that was the condition of the mentality of the parents in those times. A man did not need to go to school. School was really to waste the time Right. You had to work on the farm. And so my father worked on the farm. And that's the only thing he knew how what to do. And But they were loving. They were caring. They took care of the family. And when I was in the fifth grade, we had moved uh, to the farm to live on the farm. So we left the town, and the whole family lived on the farm. And I used to go to school in one-room school, really. And they had... Uh, in this, class, in this classroom, they had fifth graders, fourth graders, third graders, all the grades, one after the other. And we were teaching almost each other, plus the teacher. And when I was 50, fifth grade, that was the end of uh, education for us. And my parents, especially my mother, insisted that all the children should have a fifth grade. So when it came to my case, uh, a teacher somehow noticed that I somehow had the mind to study, to read. So he said to me, Mary, I want to talk to your parents tomorrow. And I was scared because I said, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and surely enough, I went home and said, Mom, Dad, the teacher wants to, uh, to talk to you. And so the next day, they put uh, the best suit on, they dressed up. They were trying to find out how to address the teacher, should we say, to, voi, lei. They didn't know how to. And they had no idea what the teacher wanted to talk to them. And the meeting was very pleasant. The teacher said, he said, I look at Mario, he's finishing his fifth grade. It would be a shame for him to waste his mind on the farm. Oh, good for him. Send him to school. Good for him. That's good. The love of your siblings.
Yes. And now I, I look at back and say, wow, they could have said no, and I would have been staying on the farm, but said they said yes, and I was able to continue. And naturally, in the little town, there was no high school. Oh, I was about to ask you that. My parents said, what do we do with this boy who has to go to school? Well, we know Father Anselmo. He was a seminarian, and he was going to be ordained, and he was friend of the family. So they said to him, do you think Mary maybe should go to the seminary with you? And uh, you can watch him, you know, because he's a little kid. Uh-huh. I was only 11. He said, yeah, of course I'll watch him. It would be very nice to go there. And so at the age of 11, I was going to become a priest. Oh, my goodness, today we'd be calling you father. <laughs> well, I was. And surely not, believe it or not, Luis, that was a good place for me to be because I learned discipline. I learned how to do things. I learned how to be independent. Uh-huh. I learned Latin and Greek. Did you at that? Philosophy. Wonderful. And I learned also religion. They gave me a faith, a sense of faith, a belief, which... Uh, has affected my life and in a very positive way. Yes. Wonderful. So then at the age of 18, uh, my brothers, now the, the question was, we were farmers. And the first time that we as a family had an experience outside of Polizzi, outside of those mountains that surround Polizzi, was when my brothers went to do the military. Mm-hmm. And so, when the military was over, first of all, they, they went from a little town to Rome, to Civitavecchia, to big cities. Yes. And, and they saw that there were people living in the cities, not farming, and yet living there, which meant that they were making a living in a different way. Yes. And so they got the idea, said, you know, what are we going to do now that uh, we go back home after the two years in the army. They wrote to my aunt here in America, and they said, aunt, here's my picture. Send me a girl so I can marry and come to America. <laughs> Would you believe it? My aunt became the matchmaker. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. She's a matchmaker. And uh, she said the girl, the girl was 18 years old, and she came to marry my oldest brother. And my oldest brother, in no time at all, came to America and became an American because he was he was the, uh, the, the spouse of an American. Uh-huh. That was the beginning of our family moving. My second brother said, oh, my oldest brother did that, I'm going to do the same. Uh-huh. And there were girls from my hometown, they knew the family, they were in a sense was arranged. But marriages that lasted, my first brother, and they passed away, by the way, three brothers, I lost them. They married, and they were married one for over 60 years, and the other one Oh, for my. So the matchmaker knew what she was doing. Yeah, and also, like, that, that was a marriage, and they came. And the two brothers, then they said, what, what happened to dad, for me, Skino? You know, poor guy. <laughs> so we left him there. Uh-huh. So, so why don't we petition the government for them to come? Uh-huh. And so, in 
one, my, my first brother came. My second brother came about 54. My father came in 55. And then my father petitioned the government for my mom to come. And my mother, be that I was a minor, I was 18 years old, 17 and a half, 18, and my sister was 14. She had the privilege to bring our minors with us. Uh-huh. And the three of us flew from the little town of police. Please imagine that. We left the little town. With the, oh, yeah. You know, and suddenly we get to Palermo, a big city. Our eyes opened up. There were people there. The next thing we are on a plane going to Rome. We had no idea. The only thing we had was clothes on and suitcases. Yeah. And we made our way to America. Was it very difficult for you to leave Polizzi? It was in 1958. Uh-huh. And uh, we took a plane from Rome. It was a TWA. At the time, they said, uh, it's uh, the best, the newest plane that we have in the fleet. Four propeller plane. Oh, a prop plane? Oh, my so goodness. We end up in Paris to Rochelle. From Paris, we end up in Shannon, Ireland, and finally, from there, we flew all the way around until we got to New York. I'll bet bet that that flight took you about 16 hours, I can imagine. Well, the flight here, because they stopped for refueling, it was really, it took us about 20 hours to get to New York. Oh, my goodness. And what is interesting is that on this flight... I, uh, for the first time, I shaved with an electrical razor. <laughs> I had never seen anything like that. I had never seen a plane. I never seen... Oh, uh, my goodness. We had never been in a restaurant. Oh. So, one of the things that happened in, uh, in Rome, the plane was late, and, you know, naturally, we were, you know, the guests of uh, TWA, so they gave us a free lunch. But we had no idea... The lunch was free. So we looked at, at each other, my mother, myself, I was the older one, the more sophisticated. And my sister, said, they said, what shall we eat? Well, they said, well, let's eat something very simple. Let's say, because we don't have much money. Yeah. So so I took that, they gave the menu. I looked at the menu, they gave me a pencil. I had no idea what the pencil was for, but I figured <laughs> that I would cross and make circle around the food we want. Uh-huh. We ruined the, <laughs> of the, the restaurant. And uh, the waiter looked at us and said, what are they doing? <laughs> These guys are coming Who knows where? Anyhow, that was, that was, that was, that was very funny. And uh, then the uh, steward said, he looked at me and my beard was, was heavy. Want to shave, but I didn't know any English. So he put signals. He told me that he would do something for me. He went to get the electric razor that he had. He gave it to me, and I shaved on the plane. That was really so exciting. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So, yeah. what was your first impression when you landed in the United States? What well, uh, the first impression that I got, and I talked uh, about it in my. Uh, memoir, which is Brinkley, Bears, and Oleanders, is that uh, the plane landed 
And at the time, the airport was known as Idlewild. Right. Uh, Idlewild Airport. It was our JFK airport. Right. And uh, when we landed, we landed right in the field, and we had to walk to the terminal. And it was raining. And what I remember is, again, a steward with a big umbrella, an umbrellone, really, a big yes. umbrella, covering the, the three of us. And he was accompanying us from the back. It looked like a, a religious procession. <laughs> and we walked, you know, to the terminal. And when we got to the main entrance, they had glass doors. I had been the adult, being polite. I just went to open the door. I reached out, and suddenly, without touching the doors, they sprang wide open. Well, I had never seen an automatic door before. So that was my first shock coming to America. Oh, my. Uh-huh. And these open doors, now that I look back, I said to myself, they reminded me of a mother opening her arms and saying, Mario and your family, you're welcome to America. Oh, that is very poetic. That is very... Was, this is true, a true story. Yes. I, could, I never seen an automatic door, the door open without touching it. Oh, right, right. God. Well, Mario, you actually, actually, you've never. We found actually, we found the family. Luckily, my brothers were here, my father, and we went to live in Ridgewood, Ridgewood, Queens, Ridgewood, Brooklyn, really. And the reason, very simply, and now I understand, when an immigrant goes to another place, he is really unknown. Uh, direction, he has no connections, he has, doesn't know the language, which right. really completely isolates the person, he doesn't know the customs, the usage, right. you know, the office, the stores, and so what, what the, the immigrant do? They go to the place where they find other people who speak their language, who have been there, who can be friends, yes, yes. who can be trusted, and that is why... Italian neighborhood stars, so the German neighborhood stars. Right. Neighborhood is because the original uh, reason for the neighborhood is because whoever came to this country needed time to adjust, to know, to become part of it, uh, to be acquainted with. So my my father, my brothers, my sister-in-laws, they did the shopping for us. They prepared the apartment. Can you imagine? So they did basically some groundwork, which made our coming here easier. Much easier. When I came, naturally I know Latin, I know Greek, I know Italian, uh, I know literature, I had studied, I, I felt I was sophisticated, but mm. I was really a nobody because I couldn't speak. Well, did you... you spend time at the park, should spend time watching TV, looking at the ads, looking at the words, looking... And David Brinkley, Chad Huntley, and David Brinkley. Yes. Have the newscast. Yes. Well, those were my teachers, my original English teachers. Oh, well, they were excellent, yeah. Because of Latin and Greek. Mm -hmm. Because of the study of French and so on, 
I had the ability to, you know, understand the language, the structures, and somehow memorize and learn. Well, as soon as you uh, you got to America, you continued your education, correct? That's correct, yes. So what happened is I had studied, this, I was in the seminary in Italy for uh, a period of, what, six or seven years. And when I came, I wanted to continue. And so the Diocese of Brooklyn allowed me to go to Niagara University where the Vincentian Fathers had Our Lady of Angels Seminary. So for one year, or for about two years, I was in an American seminary where I picked up English slowly. I used to have a dictionary on my desk and my books in, in English mm-hmm. and tried to understand. And one of the beautiful things, Louise, was that I used to write in philosophy and theology, I used to write my papers in, um, and answer the questions in Latin. Oh, so wonderful. When they corrected my papers, not only they were amazed that my answers were correct, but they were more amazed that I could write in Latin and all the answers as if it was my, my real language. Do you feel that if you had continued your education in Italy, yeah, yeah. the the education uh, that you would have received would be just as wonderful as the one that you received in the United States? Uh, well, don't forget that, Louise, that my education uh, continued. So I finished my, did my BA in philosophy at, Ni- at Niagara University. Uh-huh. And then when I decided that the priesthood was not my choice, and that was not for girls because there were girls, it was more like a... That I, uh, as a human being, as a person, was not happy with the choice. I didn't feel happy inside. Uh-huh. And uh, I had to find, uh, I was extrovert. I, I wanted to find something else that would fit my personality. Yes. Until I became a teacher, and believe it or not, teaching for me for 32 years with a, a very brilliant career made me do more good to people than if I had been a priest behind a desk or behind a little church someplace. Interesting. Anyhow, so my education continues in the States, so I went for my master's in French, where I met a wonderful professor from French from France. I did my master's in French. I did my doctorate in French. And mm-hmm. then I continue my education with uh, administration supervision at Queen's College. Mm-hmm. So at the end, uh, Louise, I end up with education from Europe, which was the a classical education, Greek, Latin, philosophy. Astounding. Philosophy and theology in America, the study of literature, Italian literature, French literature, Latin literature, Greek literature. Oh, my, amazing. Anthology. At the end, I had sort of a, a complete uh, education because of the two countries. Mm-hmm. Can I, it, it's just astounding to me, really. With those... <laughs> astounding in the sense that uh, I was very fortunate that I had a classical background, and then, of course, I had also 
the other background, the liter literary and the language uh, background, so that in a sense, at the end, I end up knowing quite a bit of ancient uh, Greek, Latin. I became a professor of Latin for many years. Italian. I had that certification for the state of New York. German certification in Italian, French, and Latin. What a wonderful. You know what is a secret? It was because of Latin that I ended up getting a job teaching languages. Wonderful. So why? Because most of the times the schools needed somebody who knew Latin for their program. Right. right. So they would give me, say, two classes of Latin, but then they say, well, Mario is very flexible. Two classes of Italian, a class of French, and I had a full program, and I had a full-time job all the time. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mario, would you? So my, my uh, experience uh, of getting educated was really very beautiful. I worked very hard. I did everything on my own. Let's say, you know, college today, they ask uh, people send money to help out. Believe it or not, Luis, I never received a penny from Hunter College, never from Queens College, never from the Graduate Center. There was no foundation, no groups who said, Mary, you know what? We're going to help you. And basically, I used to work as a teacher in the morning. I used to teach at Queensboro College, one course, get that money from there and pay the, the college course at the, at the Graduate Center. And then, oh, I used to tutor, and one car instead of two cars, you know, not, trip, not too many trips, staying home, sacrificing, taking care of the family, taking care of two kids. And my two kids, by the way, are two kids, you know, are educated, uh -huh. thank God. One is a pharmacist, and she works right here in Austin. She's been a pharmacist for about 17 years. And the other one works with uh, assisted living and uh, all the people. She's a director of uh, uh, activities and, uh, and running out well, the program. Well, that is not surprising. Because... Again, we, we took care of the kids. My wife taught in Sayaset. I was in Sayaset for many years. Yes. I was in Sayaset for uh, a total of 28 years, of which uh, 18, uh, 18 as a teacher and 10 as a chairperson of the languages. And when I retired, Luis, they called me out of retirement and mm. they offered me, guess what? What? Not to break. To be a teacher and a director Oh my goodness. I study broke. So I became the director. They called me, they said, You are the most qualified. You have a PhD. You have experience as a chairperson of language. Yes. We know the type of person you are. We like to offer you this beautiful job. And this job they gave to me followed Joe Tursi, Professor Tursi, as you might know his name. Yes. Yeah. Very famous. Yes, yes. On the island there. But again, these things that I accomplished, Louise, really was not uh, me. 
go through it. My teachers, my parents have sacrificed. My parents had no idea about school or anything. Never said, Mario, do this because this university is better, or do that because of that. But you know, Mario, that's that's a familiar story. But we are here to help you out, or to to support you. My brothers, my fellow teachers, uh, the professors that I met, they all did something for me, and that's why I am here. Okay. Can we just take a moment out? I have a I have a commercial, and then we will return. Okay. Have you been searching for a pastry shop similar to the one you would find in Italy? Look no more. La Roma Pastry Shop, home of the rainbow cookie and delectable sweets, so inviting you'll return again and again. Choose among the Neapolitan and Sicilian confections like pasticciotti, baba a rome, fruit tarts, luscious cakes and cookies, and so much more, all freshly baked every day. Excuse me. Be warned, they are addictive. Easter Sunday is fast approaching. Order traditional favorites now, like pizza rustica and pastiera. They will sell out quickly. La Roma has become a town favorite among patrons who yearn to bring a touch of Italy to their dessert table. Pastry chef and owner Gino Zambrona learned his craft at his father's side in their family-owned pastry shop in Naples. Mention Italia Mia when ordering, and you'll receive a discount on your purchase. Shipping is available. La Roma Pastry Shop is located at 1611 Smithtown Avenue in Bohemia, behind McDonald's and Applebee's. Call 631-319-1474. That's 631 631- Three one nine one four seven four. Now open seven days a week. Visit their website www.laromapastryshop to see the array of pastries and cakes. Remember, La Roma Pastry Cup. I'm sorry, La Roma Pastry Shop. And now back to Professor Mario Magaluso. Mario, are you there? Mario. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Hello. Mario. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, yes. All right. Let's go on with this wonderful story that you're relating to us. Um, we know that you left Polizzi Generosa, but to my mind, you never really left because you have conducted many tours to your old hometown, have you not? without really choosing to be one. <laughs> it happened like this. In uh, 1975, I was teaching uh, Italian at Sayasar High School, and uh, I looked that uh, I got a brochure from a company saying, take your group to Europe. And I said to myself, how can I do something like that? I spoke to the chairperson, I spoke to the principal, they gave me permission to organize a trip to Rome for my Italian class so the kids could really see that we were teaching real Italian and there was 
announcement. I announced it in class. I asked the parents to come to school one night. I discussed the trip, what we would do, the chaperones, everything. The company was organizing it. And the adults were coming on this trip. And uh, we started collecting a newspaper. We're selling newspaper or newspapers to make money towards the trip. And the trip went, believe it or not, for $637. We had the flight, we had the hotels, we had the food, we had the guided tours, the museum. Oh, my. All the taxes for the airport. And uh, once the first trip went, those students came back. And guess what? Their brothers and sisters said to their parents, I want to take Italian. I want to go to Italy like my brother. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So the first thing, without knowing, I increased the amount of students coming to my class, to the Italian program. My, what an accomplishment. And how many times, how many tours have... That became a tradition. And we, eventually we, the other teachers then said, you know what, if Mario took him to Italy, why don't we take him to France? Why don't we take him to Spain? Right. And uh, that's what we did. And right. after three years of languages, I asked him, we would allow them to, to come on the trip. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences ever, to the point that almost now we're talking about 50 years later, now with uh, uh, Facebook, you know, I'm able to share pictures that I had in the album. I've seen them. And uh, those students say, I can't believe it. So many years have passed by, and we still love the experience. When so that's what, then what happened. The parents got the idea. They said to me, Mr. Macaluso, Dr. Macaluso, you're taking our kids to Europe. How about taking us? <laughs> Five years in, you, you, you get, get with the adults. And I'll teach you. Surely enough, the tradition continued with adults going to Europe. Well, when was the last, excuse me? Until this very year, this year, last year was supposed to be in Tuscany. And the trip is from now, not from New York, it's from Austin, Texas. So there's been a career where... Wait, I'm losing you, Mario. Could you... So many people, so many Americans, to Italy. Not only that, I always manage, if we go to Sicily, to have them experience the beauty of my little town, which is a, right. which is a um, medieval town, beautiful buildings, beautiful streets, and the food is really the best. Are you planning a trip to, uh, perhaps when the pandemic is over, are you planning another well, tour? It's the same trip that was supposed to leave before the pandemic. It was postponed from March to uh, November last year. Uh -huh. And now they postponed it to November this year. So for the second time. So we have no idea. And are you going to Tuscany, you said? You're going to Tuscany. They would like to go. And uh, let me tell you uh, two things about these trips. Fria from Austin, I was able to take them to Sicily and Rome one year. And the year before, in 18, I took them on the Amalfi Coast. Oh, so beautiful. And they saw everything. They, we went to the museum. 
Yes. Oh, yes, I've been there. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, and again, what is beautiful is the students, they gave me the greatest pleasure to take them to Europe. And one of them, you know, I think of all the students that I had, was a student who could not remember anything in Italian. Oh. In my class, he would smile, but he, uh, suddenly, if I asked him a question, he could not Mario, Mario, please come closer to the phone. Mario, we're losing you. Come closer to the phone. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What changes did you experience when you went back to Polizzi? Yes. 
Mercy. Right, you inspired him. Right, that, that type of thing like that. And, uh, and the kids enjoyed it, just the idea of being Right. There. And then, uh, when in Rome, they said, oh, well, we have to have a toilet party here. Well, let me, yes, let me go to something else. Mario, excuse me. Let me go to something else. Mario. Wonderful, wonderful memories. something else now. Um, when you went back to Polizzi, what changes did you, um, what changes did you experience? Okay, the first change that I experienced in my hometown, right? Yeah. The streets were mostly paved and beautifully paved. Not only just paved, but with designs. So you could see the street would just uh -huh. That's what I wanted to. Yes, yes. So they're losing the dialect, Mario. So you're saying the dialects are disappearing in Italy? Yeah. And the dialect is not just uh, something like, you know, for people of lower class. The dialect is a means of communication. It's a, la it's a complete language. And the language, language is culture. Right, right. Because when you speak, you actually express the culture in, in the proverbs, right. in the mannerism, in the customs. And they lose very colorful if I speak in Sicilian, but that's I remember it very well. And not as colorful if I spoke in Italian. Why? Because the Italian language does not have the expressions which are centennial expressions. Right, right. They are like expressions that have been used for, for yes. For years and years and years. 
It's their individualism. They're losing their individuality. Yes, very much so. In that sense, the problem is, again, when, when I say the problem, the reason why it's uh, changing, it's number one, because, you know, there's more Italian spoken. Uh, when you watch TV, they speak in Italian, U.S., some Sicilian, some dialect, but mostly it's Italian, right? The second reason is, will not be able to work in Italy. Oh, yes. Because if he goes up to maybe Rome, Naples, Rome, he will be understood. Right. But if he passes that, he starts going towards Tuscany, uh, Lombardy, Lombardia, Milano, Venice, and so on, he is a foreigner, like somebody coming from another country. Oh, that... Mario, that leads me to my next question. In all your experiences in Italy, and you've been throughout Italy, I'd say, different regions, did you experience any discrimination as far as the north and the south are concerned? Okay, uh, let me tell you about that. Now, personally, no. Why? Because when I go to Italy, I am a tourist, so I see the best face of Italy. Uh-huh. So even if I am Sicilian, I'm the mafia. I'm fighting the mafia habitat here more than I'm fighting it in Italy. In other words, they accept me as an American. They overlook that I'm Sicilian, even though maybe they don't like Sicilians, they don't like Southerners. But, so I personally have not experienced any racism or any jokes like that or putting me down because if they did, I would just uh, let them know. That's it. But the reality is that in Italy, those in northern Italy think, act differently than those from the Mediterranean. Jonah from the South. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's not um, because they are better. It's because they have been exposed to a different uh, culture, Germanic culture, more like a, a European culture. Whereas in the South, we have stayed with our traditions, we have stayed with our language, we have stayed with our ways of doing things. We, are, we have our mannerism, we have uh, ways of behaving that, you know, are not acceptable to other people, even though they are perfectly right, right. In, uh, in the society. And therefore, sooner or later, you have this dislike for people who are not like you. Mm-hmm. So, to give an example, in Northern Italy, they, the cities, are more organized than uh, similar to the way we organize our things. There are, let's say, there is a a way of doing things. One, two, three. There is a way to announce something. There is a way of going for work, to show up for work, and so on. And all these things are to keep the city clean. Uh, how to do things. And when you go to the south, you say, oh, they say, oh, well, 
don't worry about it. When we get there, we'll figure out. And that is like, it's an attitude which has been part of us. Mm-hmm. When I say us, I put myself being in the South. You know, that we do things the way it happens. You know, we don't plan. We don't, we don't, we don't really make a big fuss about it. Yeah. So for example, if there is paper in the street, you throw more paper. You do it like you do things because anybody else is doing it. A dog, take a dog out. Very few people would take a bag, even in northern Italy, for example, it happens too. Uh-huh. Just to give you an example. And they let the dog defecate right there in front of somebody else's house and they don't pick it up. I mean, the town belongs to everybody. Yes. Yes. In other words, 
Mario, I believe our time has just about run out, unfortunately. Um, I feel like I've been in, um, I've been on a trip, and I feel like I've been in a classroom, all of those things. <laughs> really, really, very, very educational. You're forever the master teacher. <laughs> it was so wonderful having you here, and uh, we learned a lot. We really did. Um, and I should mention that um, you you have written many books. You told me early on that you've written 10 books in addition to those that I mentioned. So keep writing. And, for, and please, when you conduct your, your next tour, thankfully when the pandemic is over, please send me the information. Lovely, it'll never be lost. God love her. Uh, students 
advanced Italian, you know, for college courses. Uh -huh. like that. Um, then I wrote here in the when I was in uh, Austin, I wrote The Influence of Ancient Rome on the English Language. Very beautiful book, I guess, in that. And finally, when I went to Polizzi in 2017, I went there by myself. My wife said, yes, you go, because I wanted to fill myself with the feeling of town. Mm -hmm. I got there, I spoke Sicilian only, even though they spoke to me in Italian. I just loved to talk to the Sicilian. I ate the food, I did the things they did, and they treated me like royalty. legacy you're going to leave us. <laughs> it's amazing. It really is. Uh -huh. We should all be ashamed 